3: I can remember, right? So, All right. just end up. I mean, light skinned
4: dudes got to hang together.
3: Got you know to I mean? stick together. Y'all right? got to got stick together, right? I got you. I got you. I got
4: you.
3: Fast forward. I mean, I just end up. This is how life works. I just end up in Toronto. I end up here. You know what I'm saying? I've been hearing I look like him since I was
4: 15 years old. So it's just funny, right? And uh, what's the perk of being do- being being down with with Dray-Ski, with Champagne Pappy? Uh Up on Game presents Conversations with a Legend. And now, here's Lavar Errington. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another exciting edition. Yeah, you know what it is. It is Up on Game presents Conversations with a Legend. And we keeping it ball, but we went from oblong to uh round ball. I got my man Fred Van Vliet on the junior, senior by the way make sure you get it right you know what i mean because when there's a senior that means that there is a junior that's nearby so man i appreciate you coming on my guy man I appreciate it you're you're my first player non-football that i've had on as as a legend so uh this is historical in in some regards in some aspects and uh you got a great story man so it couldn't have been a better dude to to have be the first guy. So I appreciate you welcome into the show, man.
3: Thanks for having me, man. It's an honor, appreciate it.
4: Indeed. Indeed. So let's get to it, man. You you from Illinois. Yes, sir. That's that's your spot and and they play basketball there. Yeah. Now, for what is worth, for what is worth. And I come from a time when uh, you know, I played against Antoine Walker and all them dudes. That's my that's my era. I was playing yep. for a, a team out of Pittsburgh, and we we traveled around. And one of the team's main teams out of Chicago had Antoine Walker, right? So you six one dog,
3: yeah,
4: six <laughs> one, and and you balling in Chicago, you balling in Illinois. Um, what was that like? I mean, because basketball is 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 a thing. Obviously, where you're from,
3: yeah,
4: and 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 the first thing people look at is how tall are you? you right, know, everybody wants right. to see the eye test. I mean, what was that like coming up in the game? And and everybody, I, I would assume people was like, I like I like that kid, Fred. But man, the dude over here, yeah. like like the Antoine Walkers, they handling the ball and they six eight, six yeah. nine. Like, no, what no. was that like growing up?
3: Well, it's funny because it uh, Illinois is definitely a basketball state. So, you know, that's just embedded in the culture out there. I mean, from you go way back to guys like Zeke, but obviously, you know, MJ's imprint in Chicago and just what that meant to basketball, it just kind of flooded the community. so. Um, the, the way it worked out with the height for me was I actually played with my two older brothers. So mm-hmm. I was the runt of the group anyway, just by age. You know what I mean? I played mm-hmm. two or three years above my age pretty much from um, the beginning. And then by the time I got older to play with kids my age, I was so much far advanced and and more mature than my peers that I was able to make up a lot of what I lacked in like size and even athleticism to a certain extent with just maturity, toughness, and you know, basketball IQ. So um where I grew up Rockford, so I could just grew up as a a underdog. You know, we grew up in the shadow of of Chicago. So I was always fighting against that. Mm -hmm. I was fighting against playing with guys older than me. And I was fighting against, you know, the stigma of being a little guy. So I knew that where I wanted to get to one day and I just studied all the guys and the pros and and the college level that was doing it at my size. And that's something that I found a lot of success in was like, all right, I know it's possible. It's going to be a little bit harder for me, for sure. But um, it's definitely possible when we've seen
4: guys do it. Indeed. So you end up at Wichita. Yeah. You headed to Kansas. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, was it? By choice? Was it by necessity? Was it like, what, what, how, how did you end up at, in Kansas?
3: Yeah, well, I just, I didn't really like being recruited. Being that I was an underdog and being that I, I always had two chips on my shoulders, that the recruiting process was really uncomfortable for me because I just felt, I never felt like it was genuine from the colleges. And I was trying to find a place where I could play and win and have an opportunity. So, all of the big schools that I wanted to go to, the big name schools, you know, whether it was Illinois, none of really the Illinois schools recruited me. Hmm. You know, those big name schools, they didn't really recruit me. There was a guy from Illinois on the staff at Wichita by the name of Dana Ford. He found me. We created a relationship. And um, I just looked at it like, OK, this team is going to the tournament. They have a great fan base. They're telling me I'm going to have an opportunity to play. Like, let's go see what I can do down there. And I just committed early. So I committed a little bit early, like my junior year. And then I played out the rest. And I got more interest after that. But I was already committed and locked in to where I wanted to go. So I just went out there and gave it a try.
4: Then you go to Wichita. You do your thing. NBA draft rolls around. They don't call your name. Right. They don't call your name. Right. How? how did that make you feel,
3: man? Oh, I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken, man. Uh, you think about really 22 years of my life dedicated to the sport, um, the way I was raised and the way that I grew up, everything in my world revolved around basketball. That was our way out. That was, first of all, my way to get a free education. And second of all, this is how I'm going to take care of my family. So, uh, mind you, I've been playing well against all of these guys that I'm seeing mm-hmm. their names getting called. I had one of the top college careers out of anybody in my class. Um, I played well. I played well against other guys, but I just didn't match the eye test and I didn't have the measurables. So I had a good feeling going into the draft that there was a chance I wouldn't get drafted. So it wasn't mm-hmm. that much of a surprise. You know, my agent, okay. he, he, he kind of prepped me for it. But at the same time, I was just devastated because, you know, that's part of the dream. You still
4: wanted to happen.
3: That's part of the dream that yeah. – you don't plan for. It. You don't plan to not get drafted. When right. you, when you're at home and you're working on your game or you sleeping, and you have dreams. You don't think like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go undrafted. You you dream about getting putting the hat on and shaking the commissioner hand. So I wasn't really prepared in that regard. But you know, my ultimate goal was to have a long NBA career. I didn't really care about draft night
4: that much. That was just the beginning of the story. I could dig. So you knew you was gonna make your way. Even if it wasn't by draft, because I was going to ask you, did you feel like like, man, like some dudes, they don't get drafted. It's like, is this it? Yeah. So I going somewhere else. You know, never really
3: knew. You know what I mean? Up until maybe like two days before the draft, we started having conversations. And then that's when they got explained to me like, okay, these guys in the first round, their contracts look like this. The end of the first round, their contracts look like this. All of those guys you see get picked in the second round. A lot of them, money is not guaranteed. Right. Half of them may get sent to Europe or, you know, to the G League or whatever right. it may be. And so that opened my eyes a little bit to say, okay, it's not only about getting your name called. It's about trying to position yourself in a way to make a roster because that's yeah. all that matters at the end of the day. Yeah. There's guys that get drafted every year that won't make it through the year. That's right. so once I started to understand the business of it, I, it really made me hungrier and, and just made me go harder and say, okay, now I got to find a way to to make an imprint when I get my chance.
4: So you had more than two chips at that point. You said you was going into it. You had two chips. You, you had more than two chips by, yeah. by that time, huh? No doubt.
3: Yeah, they still there too. I just, I just came around with me
4: every day. True. So you end up on G League. Yeah. And you had to work your way through the ranks. You know, part of the reason why I love doing this show is I love having the conversations where the struggle of, of of making it through and figuring out at some point within the struggle that there's a process. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that process got to play out differently for, for some of us. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, the struggle is real. Mm-hmm. So you end up in G League. So let's stop right there because we're going to come back to the, the triumph of it. But right. let's stop right there. And you mentioned earlier the, the, the free education, the, the only way of making it out and, and different things like that. Now I know who you are and not only do I know who you are, but I even, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm curious. So when I'm, when I'm about to have conversations with dudes that, that I bang with, Mm
3: -hmm.
4: I, I start doing my, I start doing a little bit of homework, you know what I mean? And, you know you talked about you know you mentioned your brothers and stuff like that now you're in business with your brothers yeah and you guys uh do which i do obviously i do production and stuff like that mm-hmm. um you guys started a production company but <laughs> i saw one of the the posts your brother had and it was man we came a long way. I think he yeah. was getting off of a PJ. Yeah. And he was like, you know, we went from what we went it, it sounded like the muck of the mud yeah. to now we we doing it, we getting it the right way. Mm-hmm. So now let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. Let's go back to the beginning. How how did you come up? What was what were the struggles? that you, you guys had to endure. I see, You mentioned being outside of Chicago. Yeah. But what were the struggles that y'all were dealing with when y'all was coming up? I know the, the father part of it. Yeah. It, I don't know. You know, I don't want to go down any roads you're not comfortable going down. But, you know, I like to give these kids yeah. perspective. No you doubt. know what I mean? No doubt. So talk, talk to me about the beginning.
3: Yeah, it's important. And and I've grown to learn how to open up and share it because I've learned that I'm not the only person with this story. You know what I mean? There's millions of people with these stories. So just to go all the way back to the beginning, um, which was early as I can remember, my biological father was killed when I was five years old. Um, so now it's me and my oldest brother, Darnell. And it's my mom and my grandparents and you know she making do with what she can, two jobs. We were kind of living like more on the white side of town where mm-hmm. you know her family was from. So from maybe like And your mom,
4: your mom is white.
3: Mom is white, right. So my now you got
4: white. you got you got the light skinned babies. Yeah. yeah. And y'all on the white side yeah. of town.
3: Yeah. She trying you know, to know and you me.
4: you ain't that old, but right. you ain't you ain't old enough where you know.
3: Right, no doubt. No yeah. Doubt. So so I didn't I didn't experience like overt racism, you know what I mean? But I still got the like, you know, I was out of place a little bit. And right. Like, trying, trying to figure it out. Right. And so I had to learn how to play both sides. And I think from maybe five years old to like eight or nine, I think when my mom eventually met my stepdad, um, you know, they moved in, we moved in with them. And um, so she went. You know, my dad kind of was—he was—he was making it do what it do. You know, he was running around trying to make amends for his family, and she kind of went from that to a cop. So okay. he got with a cop, and my stepdad is like a military cop discipline. So we kind of went from like running around, you know, the white side of town having fun, and you know, we staying out as long as we want to. My mom, yeah. just trying to make it work for us to like discipline, discipline. regiment. Right. You know what I mean you gotta be on point. You gotta, you know, like it was just a different environment. So I got to see both sides and, um, you know, the schools that I went to and, and grew up in at the time, it just felt like, you know, I was a normal kid, but looking back, you know, it was some rough circumstances and and things that I'm not sure I would want my kids to, to have to go through. Mm -hmm. Um, so I seen a lot at an early age and I think it just, toughened me up a little bit, hardened me up a little bit, gave me a unique perspective on life because I got to see poor white, poor black. I got to see middle-class black, and then eventually, you know, go to college. Now I see white money, you know what I mean? Yeah, like certain yeah. things. So I got to experience a lot of that, and um, it just gave me a, a great perspective on life. But one thing that my parents really embedded in us was like, we had to be above average we just we couldn't be average and I think that they they instilled that my parents sacrificed their entire lives to make sure that me and my brothers got educations and we played sports we didn't have to work we didn't have to pay mm-hmm. bills as teenagers a lot of my friends did a lot of my friends had to make ways for themselves and, and as teenagers to to help their families and we got to be kids and that's one thing that I would never be able to repay them for so Rockford is like one of those rust belt towns where, you know, there was the big manufacturing plants, you know, Chrysler and things like that. And then obviously as those things move on, you're stuck with the leftovers. And so it creates it creates a tough environment for kids to grow up in, not much opportunity and not much hope. But we just we just formed a family built around sports and, and love and and you know, everybody poured into that and I was ultimately the one who was able to take it the farthest.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is safe. It's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For example, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Game Presents today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel com slash Game Presents.
1: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe
4: What was one of the biggest challenges during that time? Was it, was it about balancing what, what you were living as, as Fred, the person and with mm-hmm. your family? Was it just, just being able to overcome the odds being, being, that, cause I, I know for me, when I was in high school, I had a lot, I, and I come from a good family, mm-hmm. but, but my family, they, they, you know, they I come from some bangers, you mm-hmm. know, they, they, they bang. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's it's like the the balance of good and evil, right. you know what I mean. You got right. one dude on this shoulder that's saying, you know what I mean, like do what you need to do. You got the other dude on this shoulder saying, man, F it, you know yeah. what I mean, like yeah. be a real one, you right. know what I mean. Whatever that meant right. at the right. time, you know right. what I mean. Right. But how how did you for you what was what was what you needed what you felt you needed to balance to to get immersed in that process. In order to be able to put yourself in the position because there's a lot of things you got to get good grades, Mm -hmm. you got to be in school, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to handle I don't know if you handle you dealt with girls, Mm -hmm. you know, during that time, or if you was too focused, whatever it was, but I know I dealt with girls and and that threw my focus off at times too because right, right. you're immature that's you know all you what think
3: about yeah she,
4: man another dude then then hollered at her and she and she went for it yep. you know what i mean so now I'm, <laughs> I'm dealing with that you know what i mean like <laughs> right. you're dealing with a whole lot of different things what right. did you have to oh, like what did you have to balance in order to to achieve what you were able to achieve to get to wichita state
3: you know what i, I i'm a big Faith guy and um, very spiritual, and so now I can look back. I'm not that old, but I can look back to when I was 10 years old 9 years old, and it's just nothing that I can say but but God, right? So I I try to tell people like I had a great family too. You know, I had two parents at home. Um, my stepdad, I don't call him my stepdad; that's my father. He raised me. Um, he took me and my brother in, so we were very safe at home. We had a very safe environment. Neither of our parents smoked they didn't drink they didn't fight all they did was go to work and take us to a basketball or football practice so I was very safe now as soon as I leave that house i'm I'm in the rest of the world so mm-hmm. going to and from school was really like the most treacherous stuff I had to try to maneuver as a young kid because when I get to this school, there's not really anybody else in the school that has the situation. I got it the best out of everybody. And we're not doing great, but we're probably doing better than most of my peers. So somehow, some way, sixth grade, as I'm going to middle school, we just formed, maybe it was four, three, four, five of us. There was like three, four, five of us friends who just kind of all had the same energy and just wanted to be cool but we didn't really want to do the street thing and we like playing sports you know we like girls so we just kind of bonded over that Mm -hmm. and my best friend his his dad was just like my parents and so we just kind of locked in and formed our own bond and just by the grace of God we just ran into each other and those are still the guys that I'm with to this day so I think I was able to create my own world inside of what we were living in mm-hmm. and it allowed me to stay focused. So my friends was, was kind of on what I was on.
4: Trying to okay. do the same thing you don't. We all
3: trying to do the same thing. So good. We, used good. To, we used to look at the other people and be like, damn, can you, you know, so-and-so man, he, like there was a kid who, he was driving to school in sixth grade. You know what I mean? Like, look yeah, up. like he's got his he's got his little duffel bag on. There's nothing in there but a 380. There's no books yeah. in there. There's no pencils. No books. No calculators. He just
4: ready, ready to get get yeah.
3: busy. It's a 380 in there. This this True. ten years old. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. At the time, we thought it was normal. We didn't think nothing of it. We just right. like, all right, we know we don't want to do that. Yeah. We don't want to do that. And then I'll never forget. It was like eighth grade, ninth, going into high school that was one of our guys, he played on our basketball team, um, his name was, was uh, Spider, and um, he ended up getting killed that summer, and I think that was like a shock to all of us, like, yo, this shit real, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I had it as a five-year-old, I didn't really understand it at the time, but at 13, 14, going into high school, we know we wanna get to wherever we wanna get to, like, okay, this is what's gonna happen if we go down that path. And yeah. We never blamed and we never judged nobody, but we just knew like, we gotta try to do something different. We gotta do something different than anybody from this city has ever done. And, um, you know, thank God we was able to do it.
4: How does that play a part in how you deal with everyday people? Because mm-hmm. for what it's worth, I mean, you, you're you an everyday dude. Like I could tell like by your vibe, you 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 just, you, you're a good dude. Mm-hmm. How does that play a part in how you you interact? You know, because I know for me, like I said, it means everything to me. I, I, that story's played out way too. I, I got too many spiders, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. for me, it's always about trying to, to give back. Like, I'm going to leave here and go coach a football game tonight. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. everything is about – trying to educate these babies and I don't give a damn what color they are. As mm-hmm. Matter of fact, out here in, in Cali, you know, it ain't just black and white. It's it's black, white. It's more Mexican yeah. and, and and Asian than it is anything else, right? So when you think about kind of, you know, that that giving back aspect, it's about giving back, not about who I'm giving back to outside of it being the younger generations. How do you, how do you approach that? Yeah. So I think for me, I always, I just
3: got started. Like my second year, maybe my second year in college, they had me come back to do the graduation speech. You know what Mm I mean? So I'm 19 speaking to seniors, like, and then we come back again, we do a basketball camp. So I just knew I wanted to stay in tune with the community Mm -hmm. because I know what my parents and my, good fortune did for my mindset and just having the hope and the belief to be able to go do that. Right. So now as I'm in a better position, I'm trying to afford opportunities to those who wouldn't have them otherwise. And so I keep that real close to my heart. Now I still do anything that pulls on my heartstrings, whether it's hospital stuff or whatever, you know, we do Thanksgiving Christmas giveaways. So before I even knew what a foundation was or how it worked, we was just trying to give back to our community. So now, as mm-hmm. you know, we build it out a little bit more. We're kind of more strategic with it. But I think the biggest thing for me is going to those underserved communities and being present, being around the kids, being um, a voice um, and, and a voice of reason, or or just the hope and and just to give them that that knowledge. Because I had so many great mentors as a as a young kid that mm-hmm. helped me develop into the man that I am and I think that's one big thing that's missing is 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 you know you can throw money at a wall you can do whatever you want but I think just being there and being able to help these kids grow and and really like nurture their minds because you never know what what these kids are going through at home that's right and I grew up with a lot of them right so I know like their situation, they taking care of the, the family at, you know, 12, 13 years yeah. old. Like, that's a yeah. lot. That's a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. And so, for us, I think we try to use our platform to create things that
4: will help those kids first, and then we build from there. So, you end up going pro, play G League, make it on to the regular squad, and then y'all go win a title. Yeah your you set you made history you you scored the most points ever in in playoff game from somebody who was undrafted you you made your mark on on the basketball court. but you took your success and you and you you built a business with you and your brothers mm-hmm. and 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 that kind of kind of goes back to you saying, given the support now, if I read it correctly or if I absorbed it correctly your production company is creating opportunities as well Mm -hmm. for, for people that are aspiring to what is it going to the production, uh, business or is it content creating stuff like that? I think that's super dope because honestly, it's always been about people try to tell you, don't build your brand, like mm-hmm. be a be a player, like mm-hmm. be, be a player, like nah build your brand, too. Yeah. You sure. know, because you want your brand to be recognizable, whatever that brand is. I want my brand to be recognized as somebody who, who works hard. I'm a common dude with mm-hmm. not so common expectations like mm-hmm. that's my brand, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm a bad motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like, no doubt. Let it be that's known. my brand. You yeah. know what I mean? So. In the end, I'm looking at what you guys, you what you've accomplished on the court. All these shows can do interviews on what guys have done on the court. Like, mm-hmm. all right, you got that J, right. scored them points. That's, that's great. Right. But in the end, you're building something that's not only sustainable for you, yes. you're building something that's sustainable for your siblings yes. and you're building something that's sustainable for your kids to transition
1: into as well.
0: You can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, kane velasquez salacious super bowl level scandals join me on the dark side of sports by listening to playing dirty sports scandals on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
4: just talk about that that mindset how did how did that come about y'all getting into the whole content creating deal and and how did that play a part in terms of you know you going to the league And you, I'm certain you were the catalyst of of making that happen. So how did that that all come about?
3: Well, just to be honest, man, I'm just like, you know, we talked about the upbringing a little bit. So I'm just more of like a make the most out of everything kind of guy. So with that being said, I kind of got my hands in as much stuff as I can without, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to keep basketball first. I know that's what afforded me this platform and, at this stage, you know, as, as you had a, a, a great long career, it's it becomes second nature. You know what I mean? You, you can do that. I can go play basketball. Like that part is not that out of this world. Now I got to focus and all that stuff. But as I'm creating relationships and I'm building up this profile and this platform, I think one thing I do is I keep my guys close. So number one, we're all learning together at the same time. And number two, we are all accessing and having the same access to the opportunities at the same time, because it's not Mm -hmm. just about me. And I can go and have a long, successful, rich, wealthy career. But if all of my family and my friends and nobody else grows along the way, then that's gonna be a pretty lonely road. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, I just always looked at it like where we get stuck on American dream, first generation millionaires, but it's like, okay, then what? Like, okay, then I've never, the longest guys playing maybe in their 40s, 42, 43, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old time Brady is now, but like- Oh, for, 45. 45, right? For, and that's unheard of. And for, that's
4: unheard of, yeah. So for
3: basketball and football, you know, you got, let's just be generous, a 10, 15 year window Right, And then you got a whole lot of life to live after There's that.
4: There's a whole lot left, yeah. So
3: I, I, I understood that from day one because I'm much more than a basketball player. Word. That's just what I do. And I use try to use the platform to create situations. So um, we're kind of in every space. You know, we do, we're in content, um, we're in management. My best friend is my manager, which is how we ended up on this this show. He was just nice. sitting next to plaques at the, at yeah, the bar, no, and yeah, yeah. here we are. So... Um, my brothers is my business partners and my, my other brothers, my basketball trainer. So it's, it's ways to do it. And they teach us to protect your money and don't spend and don't help people. But it's like, you can do it. You just, you have Mm -hmm. to be smart. You have to be strategic and it's not going to be easy, but you can definitely help your people along the way just by putting them in positions to win. Indeed.
4: That's well stated, man. I got two more questions for you now. I'm going to let you ride. Uh, first question a two you didn't pass the eye test because of your height and all that growing up whatever hoops but then you make it to Toronto and you're playing for the Raptors and you kind of look like Drake dog yeah <laughs> so now you all of a sudden now you're passing the eye test right? yeah no doubt <laughs> what's the relationship like with Drake and, and how funny is that that you you got you know iconic dude that's that's like you know I'm am certain he's a friend yeah. and, and and super cool with you based off of everything y'all got going on with the team yeah. and stuff like that that created a, an opportunity yeah. to bond. But what's that relationship like? And and do y'all ever try to do stunt double type type action, man? Yeah,
3: so it's it's crazy, yeah. right? Because I remember being maybe I was a freshman in high school or or sophomore in high school. His first tape came out and. I was running it around sharing it to everybody. You know, nobody really had heard of him at the time. Like, yo, I right. gotta listen to this dude. Like, this has been my favorite artist since I can remember,
4: right? So just right. end up. Light skinned dudes gotta hang together. Gotta you know stick to together. Y'all gotta, y'all gotta stick together. We right. Got, I, got I got you. I got you.
3: I got you. I mean I just end up this is how life works. I just end up in Toronto. I end up here, you know what I'm saying? I've been hearing I look like him since I was 15 years old so it's just funny right and Uh he's such a great dude that he played into it you know I mean he kind of put his arm around me a little bit and we just were able to develop a a nice friendship over the years I'm going on my seventh year there so um yeah he's just a cool dude man he means so much to that city yeah and and to Canada as a country and yeah, um, even to our team, you know, he's a that's a good ambassador to have. Give a
4: perk, team. man. What's a perk of being do, being being down with with Draytsky, with champagne pappy? Uh, I mean, he's just—I'll just, just say—he's—he's he's very generous. Like, All right. you know what I mean,
3: he's very generous. He—he's moving pretty heavy. So, you know, yeah. if, if you uh, if you find yourself in the in the same vicinity, you know what I mean. He's—he's uh, he's a very generous dude. He's a good dude. Word. Yeah. Word, yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. All
4: right. Last question, number two. What does Fred Van Vleek Sr., when it's all said and done, when they're sitting there and they're saying their final, here are my goodbyes, Here, here's how I remember him, mm-hmm. what is it that you want to know? What do you want to hear being said? in that moment, um, what's your legacy?
3: I think my legacy is being a stand-up dude, first and foremost, a good guy, a stand-up guy, a family man, um, somebody who took his family from where they was to where they are now, created opportunities for everybody involved and just took the name from you know being nothing to a, a staple and, and really just changing families lives. Like um, I'm going to tell this quick story before we get out of here. So my high school basketball coach, um, very religious and spiritual guy. And he sat me down. I was having trouble being a leader. I was cussing my friend. Like I was, I was terrible. I was, I was a bad teammate. And um, he made me read the book of Psalms. And somehow within that time frame, I just remember it hit me like, I found what my purpose was. And my purpose was to take my gifts and take it as far as I can. And with that, you're gonna create change that helps so many people. And it used to be like I wanna save the world, and then I got a little older, I understood that's not realistic. So I'ma just I'm gonna just save my world. You know what I mean? And I'm gonna I'm gonna put everybody in position and we're gonna live long, happy, healthy lives and take care of these these babies that we got and you know, keep it moving forward.
4: And that's the legacy. Yes, sir. Hey, bro. Appreciate you, man. man. No doubt, man. Thank you. Keep banging, man. Keep keep chopping wood. You know what yes, I mean? Sir, every day. One day at a time. Ten okay. toes down. You dig? All day. Yes, sir. My appreciate man. My man. You, I look forward to I will beat you one day, yeah, man. Yeah, we're gonna look get together. To we're gonna get together for sure. My G, my G. It's been real, man. I appreciate you. But before I let you go, let's let's do the, the outro. Here's the outro, y'all. This is Up On Game presents Conversations with a Legend. And I talked to a GOAT, a legend in his own right, my man, Mr. Van Bleet. Freddy, if you're nasty. Freddy, (laughs) Freddy, Freddy. Hey, all right, man. Hey, you be well, man. You take care. All right, bro. Be in touch. Thank you. My man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Okay. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.